0: standing by right now is the one and the only sean mooney who
1: mooney everybody's got a price for the million dollar man <laughs> after you threw him off through the announce table Taker climbs back down he gets in the ring and he goes see if he's breathing
0: Uh, well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> Who else could it be?
1: Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's
0: no further questions. You're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of PTSM. I'm your host, Sean Mooney. We chatted with Joey Ryan, a very controversial individual in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, it's hard not to make dick jokes when you talk about Joey Ryan, but clearly... He had the balls to make it in the business. I know I went there, and uh, Joey has a huge following uh, now. Uh, I did it again, but really, uh, despite you know all the purists out there who condemn him, uh, you know it's an outrage what he's doing. Uh, there are many, many big names in the business right now who like what he's doing. Among them, Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks. So uh, Joey Ryan's star is definitely rising. And above all, I really appreciate his uniqueness. Uh, He is definitely an individual who has paid his dues. And he's found a gimmick that works for him. And he's going to keep working hard. I know, that was too easy. But really, though, I, I, uh, I for one like what Joey Ryan is doing out there and love the fact that he really doesn't care what other people think as far as it affecting what he does in the ring. And really, I want to thank Joey for coming on. All righty, another great guest this week on the podcast. He is an individual that, um, you know, I didn't know, and I didn't know a lot about until this past year. Uh, he was part of the first StarCast, and he was also in Vegas for StarCast 2. You know, we got to know each other a little bit, chatted a few times, but, uh, you know, I didn't realize that he was really with the WCW through it all. I mean, in those uh, shitty days, and then, you know, the Times of Glory with the Monday Night Wars and, of course, the, the mighty 83 Weeks. And then he saw it all go to hell, and he was right there for every bit of it. And he started out by just hanging around, not even getting paid, uh, really, and uh, you know became very successful with them. He's an incredible story, so let's get to it. David Penzer, ding, ding, ding. Well, you know, folks, in the wrestling business, there is persistence, and then there is David Penzer, a man who took (laughs) that will to succeed to the extreme, was there for the rise and fall of the WCW, and he has seen it all in the world of professional wrestling. Dave, thank you so much for coming on Primetime. How are you, my friend?
1: Thank you for having me. Great intro. Great intro. Uh, Now I know why why you're so so successful in doing this. That was fantastic. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Well, I mean, it's the damn truth. Uh, you know, I've uh, I've followed your career, that I've heard a few interviews that you've done, and my God, sir! I mean, uh, I I don't know if it's the, the you just wouldn't go away, or or do we say it in the nice way it'd say the guy just uh, wouldn't give up? I mean, uh, the, whatever you whatever you call it, that's what it takes uh, in this business, as we both know. But uh, uh, would you pretty much say that that uh, was was your journey?
1: I don't know if it wasn't going away or just kept showing up. <laughs> I think a little bit of both. Um, you know, I don't want to get ahead of the story, but there comes a time when I had to put my money where my mouth was or the whole thing was going to fall apart. And uh, thank God that I was able, to, you know, to, to get past that hurdle and uh, and and uh, get the backup ring announcement job for WCW. But, yeah, I mean, I started uh, – I started you know in davie florida hanging out at the global wrestling alliance uh school yeah. uh and the only reason i got in the doors there was because the guy who ran it uh one of the guys who ran it guy, he, he's an indie wrestler named dr red roberts and he's also a shoot psychologist yeah. and uh my dad is a psychologist in that area or was he's retired now but uh they they had uh, a friend in common, and the friend said, "Hey, this guy's a DJ, and he's really interested in the wrestling business. Maybe he could ring an ounce for some shows." And they said, "Send him down to the school. Let him talk to some people." And that's where I hung out. Uh, you know, I was I was recently had recently on my podcast had Alex Marvez on uh, after Double or Nothing, and he was he's the same way. He got an invite uh, because he was in the press part-time to uh, go down to the school. And that's where me and Alex met. We were just two jabronis who love the wrestling business, trying to figure out a way to get our feet in the door and just hung out there. So it was pretty crazy. But, yeah. uh,
0: this- well, I was going to say Dave though, and I, and I mean it with all with as a great compliment of, uh, you know, just sticking with it. But, uh, you know, we've been doing this for a long time and, uh, I just so many stories of these uh, personalities that have made it in professional wrestling, and a, a big, giant part of it is the fact that they just wouldn't give up. They wouldn't go away. They, they took every opportunity that came their way. And one thing I've discovered along uh, the ride here is that uh, you know, the podcast isn't just about wrestling. If you listen to these stories, they're really inspirational because it may be the wrestling business, which I think is one of the toughest there, you know, that exists today and and did back since it uh, began uh, to make it. And if you listen to these stories, you can get a lot out of them because it's about people. When you come down to it, who uh, a lot of them come, come from humble beginnings. They didn't have a lot to begin with. They uh, got got an opportunity. They have a great great love for the wrestling business, but then they just no matter what we're going to uh, somehow be a part of it and uh, you're certainly one of those stories and before we get into you actually working in the business and I believe that you were born in Atlanta I don't know did you grow up there as well and and what was your your exposure you mentioned your dad was a psychologist but I imagine he must have been a wrestling fan too somehow brought you into it or at least got you interested Um, so how did that all start for you it's a, it's
1: a pretty crazy story, and I don't mean to sound callous, but it is what it is. Actually, I was born in the Bronx and moved to South Florida when I was six. So I don't, yeah, You can't always trust the internet, as I've I've been burned a couple times on on, on my deal. No, I was I, I only lived in Atlanta when I worked for WCW. Uh, <laughs> my
0: my, so. my uh one of the research papers that I have on here that uh, Casey sent me, my producer that that's like the first line on it i'm like are you sure about this so yeah. uh, backing up and i it, it makes the story even uh richer here is the fact that yeah. uh you know being born in the bronx now you got a chutzpah already uh being in that part of the <laughs> country so uh, as we back up here yeah uh, tell me a little bit more about that because uh you know that that certainly adds to the story here
1: well, I don't really remember that. I was six when I moved to South Florida, so okay. uh, I don't, you know, really remember being in New York. But, um, but yeah, hey, this is the first thing on my Wikipedia page, so can't, it's, uh, I've learned. I've been burned the hard way. You can't always trust the uh, the internet, and yeah. I don't know how to go in and change it. Nor do I think anybody cares. Well, I was born in uh, Phoenix
0: for a lot of people on that uh, Wikipedia too. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. Yeah. yeah, I was born in New York as well.
1: So. Uh, so anyway, it was crazy what happened, man. And and like I said, I don't want to sound callous, but it is yeah. what it is. Um, we had a um, we had cousins uh, who were uh, the youngest boy was about my age, mm-hmm. and crazy stuff happened. The father, uh, who was a very famous dentist in South Miami, dropped dead of a heart attack, and a week later, the mother jumped off the uh, top story of a building. And my parents were the the next of. I forget what you call it, but so all of a sudden I had two older sisters and an older brother that moved into our house. I was like eight or nine oh, wow. and you know so it, it was pretty crazy and it, it, of course things like that don't end well yeah. but um the point is is my dad wasn't a wrestling fan but this guy jeff who uh who was my cousin who moved in and shared a room with me mm-hmm. uh one day turned on channel six at 12 o'clock noon uh in uh, wpix i think it was called and uh there was championship wrestling from Florida and Ox Baker and superstar Billy Graham and Steve strong. I have memories of it. Uh, I don't remember it verbatim. The first one I watched, but I can remember Steve strong and superstar, Billy Graham, Ox Baker, Joe, the Duke, Dusty Rhodes. And I was hooked. Uh, I, I was hooked. I watched every Saturday, uh, you know my dad did take me to the matches although it was funny we always joke about it he would bring like three like a time magazine a newsweek and a psychology today and he'd sit there in the middle of the chaos and he'd read all the magazines while i was you know cheering and booing and doing all the stuff but um first show i was at was uh, fort lauderdale national guard armory in 1977 may the main event was uh, ox baker and ernie ladd and uh uh I was hooked ever since then. And I watched everything and bought every wrestling magazine. You know, I've heard this story so many times from, from wrestlers, as you said, you know, once you get hooked, you know, you, you buy every wrestling magazine, there was no internet obviously, but, um, you know, then, you know, then you discover the newsletter newsletter, uh, community years later and, and, uh, and start, you know, subscribing to every newsletter and, you know, really start to appreciate the, you know, not so much, you know, as a fan, but more of somebody who's interested in the, the you know, a little behind the scenes, the ins and outs, how, how how it all works. And, you know, start to learn a little bit about, you know, how it works. And then, you know, they say there's some people that, you know, oh, when they get smartened up, they get turned off as a fan. To me, when I got smartened up and made, it would open, it was like, it it it, it, it opened up, uh, you know, uh a little door that I had been staring out of and like, you know, uh, and then, you know, all of a sudden there was a whole new horizon, not to sound, uh, not to, uh, sound silly, but there's a whole new new horizon of stuff that I wanted to learn. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you know, it went beyond, you know, Oh, who's the Florida champion to, you know, how do how did this happen and how does this happen and how do how does the, you know, and a million questions that she, it's like a kid in the candy store.
0: Yeah, so it even became more intriguing for you at the time because of uh, it became, uh, I, I guess in your in your uh, view of it, uh, you know this this the whole new uh, you know theater dramas involved the storylines, uh, not only the fact that these guys have to be athletes, uh, even though you could get away with a lot more back then. There wasn't the the super muscle guys. There were some of them out there, but uh, the, the it was all about to change. But was that kind of what it did? I mean, uh, it made it even more? It wasn't like being a fan of boxing or something?
1: Yeah, no. Um, once I found I got a little bit, you know, quote-unquote smart. You know, I uh, wasn't totally smart to, uh so many years later and, uh, and, you know, probably, you know, nobody's ever a thousand percent smart, but, uh, uh, you know, cause there's still things I'm learning as we go, especially with the changing atmosphere and, uh, you know, of the wrestling business, the changing uh, face of, of how, of what it's become. And, you know, from what I grew up watching, but, but yeah, I just wanted to learn so much, and and it, I was enamored by it. I was absolutely enamored by it. The angles, the interviews, how you can control people's emotions with simple, you know, you know, with a simple uh, hiding of a of a of a, of a um, uh, foreign object that. There wasn't even anything. It was somebody, like, pretending to hold something in their hand and then pretending to put it under their, their arm and then pretending to put it in their tights. Right. And, you know, you, you could control four, 3,000 four 4,000 people in Miami Beach on a Wednesday night. With nothing, just pantomiming, and to me that I still, to me that's still what's you know I feel it in a tingle as I talk about it. That's still what gets me excited about this business, and uh, you know the fact that you you have that control over people if you know how to do it right, and uh, and 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 then the storylines and all that. So yeah, so uh, I decided once I got my my pinky in the door, my toe in the door, I was going to do everything I could to try to get in because back then. You know, it was totally different. I'm sure you know, but. You know, today, you know, if I, if, if you know, my son is uh, my adult son is a wrestling fan. If he wanted to, he could go put up the ring for uh, local indie shows, and you know, they probably wouldn't pay him, but they let him go in the dressing room, and he could probably ring the bell, and yeah. and and you know, it, it's pretty easy to get in. It's harder to to stay in now, but uh, but back then they didn't, you know, they didn't creak the door open for just anybody. Yeah. You had to have some kind of connection, yeah. and even then you had to, you know, build the trust that. You know that they could trust you with uh, with with, with uh, you know telling you know letting you in and and bring, bringing you on so uh
0: yeah k as they say and um yeah the the uh, whole part of that maybe being a psychologist's son uh, intrigues you so much more but you mentioned how uh, you know the, the the whole psychology of this the of this the storylines the you know you could do an arm bar for five minutes if you uh, work in the crowd uh today my god you couldn't you can barely get away with 30 seconds without something changing uh, i guess that's the best way to put it in the ring where you, but back then god the, the whole psychology of it uh, the guys would go in there and you know just uh, a headlock could last for 5 minutes and 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 the crowd yeah. would be just on their edge of, on the edge of their seats it really has changed a lot. <laughs> to-
1: to- totally different game. I'm not saying one is better than right. the other, no. uh, you know, because you got to evolve. Everything evolves, especially with with uh, technology the way it is these days. But um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, you know, 20 minute match and the finish would be, uh, you know, nobody ever take a bump until the finish was a uh, a body slam or a head scissors or something like that, you know. And then, like you said, now you can't. Yeah, some in Japan, I think it works a little bit better from the little bit I see in Japan, yeah. but in the united states uh the the fans have no uh they you know i guess probably because and i 'm not trying to talk down about anybody but because i have two boys but uh you know i, I think attention spans are, are probably uh uh lo- way lower because of uh everything you got you know 24 hour oh, news yeah. cable news and you got a, a a camera right in your hand all the time that's also a a source of of a, like an encyclopedia a source of information and uh so, uh, so it's just totally different animal. I, you know, I can't rate one versus the other. I, I look back fondly on, on my time as a fan and my time in the business when it was different, but uh, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy some of what, what, what I don't, I'm not one of these guys who say, ah, the business sucks. I hate the yeah. business. I, I, I like being surprised. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I always watch the, the raw after WrestleMania, uh, it's the only, probably the only one I probably watch live and don't DVR. Um, mm. because you know, that's, you never know, it's just going to walk out of the curtain. who's going to walk out behind the doors. And to me, that's, that's always been the fun of the business.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I do miss that aspect of it. I guess we call it old school, uh, of that, uh, storylines and psychology, but it is, it's a different business today. It's a, uh, it's a lot more of the, uh, you know, visual and what, what the, the high spots they do in the ring, but that's, a. Uh, I guess another podcast, or at least later in this conversation. But you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned being down in South Florida, right? That I, I spent most of your, your the time you grew up, and uh, what a, a rich area for wrestling that was. That a lot of people don't know. Uh, you know, when they think of those days and, and, and earlier days, of course, we, you're you're around my age, but uh, how those territories were kind of divided up, and when people thought of, of wrestling around the country, they would think. You know the East Coast, or of course the uh you know the mid south and those areas, but Florida had some great wrestling. it was a great territory,
1: yeah, yeah i didn't even appreciate it at the time I was like ten years old, as i said and um and and you know when you're ten years old and you turn on the show and you see it you you, you don't realize i know it's hard for people to understand, but you don't realize that there's like all these other wrestling companies at the moment you know this this is what this is wrestling. This is, you know, and then as I got it to, to learn more about it and, and discovered magazines and stuff, I was like, Oh my God, they got, they got, you know, uh, AWA and WWF and NWA and all these territories and all these places. And, the re-, you know, but when I first started watching wrestling, that was it. It was what I turned on, 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 the championship wrestling from Florida. And, and yeah, it was some of the greatest, uh, some of the greatest talent looking back. Uh, I got the opportunity to see and, uh, and, and uh you know some of the the you know some of the legendary great heels and baby faces dusty Rhodes is a baby face and yeah. jack briscoe and you know the heels like i remember even better you know joe la duke is one of my favorite and uh uh killer carl cox and ox baker ernie ladd and just uh you know just so so much great uh stuff and then you know and then uh not to jump ahead but then when we got to see championship wrestling georgia championship wrestling which became wcw years later uh that was like discovering a treasure you know i remember going to my friend's house because i didn't have cable television then and on Saturdays at six and uh, and watching Georgia championship wrestling. And, you know, so you're seeing that, oh, some of the same wrestlers, but a lot of the different wrestlers. And by then I had known of a lot of them through the magazines and stuff. And, and, and you get to see, you know, they were putting on super shows. It looked like every other week at the Omni with all these stars flying in. So, so you got the, the, the Florida wrestling and the Georgia wrestling. And then the whole thing just, as you know, cause you were right there way before I was the whole thing just uh, blew up.
0: Yeah. No, really, it, uh, it, the world changed forever in the 80s, as we know. Uh, but it was, a, it was an awesome time to be a wrestling fan and also uh, to be a part of it. Um, you mentioned uh, your involvement of, of actually getting your toe in the door with the uh, GWA uh, down in Florida. And was it really just, uh, I think you mentioned your dad knew somebody involved in the promotion, and they said, yeah, you can come down and hang out. Um, uh, is That's- that how it really started with you? that was it a hundred percent thousand percent they
1: were taping tv at the diplomat hotel uh-huh. and uh they said, go ask for uh, Dr. Red Roberts, Larry Brandon was his name, real name. And so I asked for him, and he said, oh, any friend of – the guy's name was Alan. Any friend of Alan it's a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And I, he said, you know, we already have a ring announcer, and he didn't smarten me up. He said, don't go in the dressing room, but you can hang around here by the gorilla position. Well, he didn't call it the gorilla position at the time, but, right. you know, where they go out, and, you know, as long as you go in the locker rooms, you'll be cool. Right. And uh, and then after the the, the night was over – he said you know we have a uh a school and office facility in Davie Florida anytime you want to come by and just kind of hang out uh you know pick our brains let us know and i probably uh, thought oh, the kid never show up again but i was there <laughs> i was there probably the next night yeah. uh and you know guys like larry Malenko and and bob roop took yeah. me under their wing and uh you know i say without those two you know those two really uh I would sit there and listen to to Larry Malenko and he for some reason took a liking to me. I have no idea why. Maybe cuz we're both Jewish. I have no idea. But uh he took a liking to me and he 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 would tell me about the nuances of being a ring announcer and how, you know, and how how, how to react and how to, you know, and 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 I wasn't even ring announcing yet. I hadn't done it one time. But hmm. he knew, obviously he looked at me and knew I wouldn't to be a wrestler. And uh <laughs> So, so i probably a referee wasn't going to work either. So, uh, I could talk in a microphone. So he, you know, probably never thinking that anything would happen. He was just nice enough to, to sit there and, and, you know, for him, it might be killing time, but for me, it was a lesson yeah, that, uh, it was lessons in, of that, that I could, couldn't pay if, if I had a thousand dollars an hour, uh, I couldn't pay for those
0: yeah. back in the day. So did you always want to be, uh, in front of a microphone i don't know what you had aspirations as a kid uh to to do that did you uh, see somebody on tv that influenced you i mean was broadcasting something you were interested in i think i uh, heard you mention that you were a dj or did something along those lines but that was that something that in your your mind that you 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 thought oh if i was going to have a profession this is what i'd like to do
1: Well, it was more it was more just about getting through my, my uh teen years. Um uh I you know, I got a job like most people as a busboy and, and waiting tables and, and uh and you know, I hated it. So uh me and my best friend uh he, we decided to start a mobile DJ company because oh. it was sort of like when the mobile DJ craze was uh, rising. Oh, like so doing uh, we, weddings
0: and events and stuff like that? Yeah,
1: we yeah. just started doing, like, you know, parties and Sweet Sixteens, like, for free. Okay. And then, you know, we started I started. We started We buying records and we improved our equipment. And a couple years later, you know, when we were, I was 16, 17 years old, uh, was doing, like you said, weddings, bar mitzvahs, uh, you know, making a few hundred dollars a gig, it's funny that the, the, the DJ business is, is so much easier now. Cause all you need is oh, a laptop yeah. and right. a couple yeah. of small speakers, yeah. but the money is still the same. Yeah. These, people, these guys are making the same money. They they don't have to carry on all the equipment and the records. Like I had to do, but, but there, it, it's like you, the money has not gone up at yeah. all for a mobile DJ. It's, yeah. it's ironic, but, um, but yeah, so it was a lot better than being a bus boy and a waiter. And, you know, so, uh, I did that on the weekends and, uh, and 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 so I got used to talking in front of a microphone and, and uh, introducing the bridesmaids and the grooms and the cut the cake and all the different, you know, play the games with the kids at the bar mitzvahs. And uh, I was just comfortable on a microphone. So I knew I had no athletic ability. I knew I was desperate to be involved in the wrestling business. I wasn't sure how, but I knew that my best chance was on a microphone because there wasn't going to be, you know, and I didn't think there was a good chance
0: of that happening, quite frankly,
1: uh-huh. but I knew that that was the only, the only way that was going to, it ha- was going to happen.
0: But play by play, did you have bigger dreams than that? Or did you just, uh, however I could do it, I would love to be a ring announcer. I,
1: I don't even know that I thought about play by play. I was always the host, uh, you know, of the no matter what the party was uh, or, okay. you know, and, and, and at that time, Gordon Soley, you know, in my mind, Gordon Soley was championship wrestling from Florida and Georgia championship wrestling, he was everywhere. Mm-hmm. And he was even the, the, the ring in the, the uh, play-by-play guy for Global Wrestling Alliance at the beginning. Oh, wow. So in my mind, you know, you know, not knowing now, uh, not knowing them, what I knew, what I know now, yeah. you know, I don't even know that play-by-play was an option. It was oh. Gordon Soley. It was him, and it was, was nobody else. He was the only guy. <laughs> yeah. So. So uh so so to me, you know, hey the only other opportunity with a microphone is a ring announcer. Boom. That's you know, and I look back and I and we talk about it now. I haven't thought about it as much, but it's funny that you bring it up how how little of it of a chance I really had to make it work. Uh, I take it for granted because I think about now and you're saying you didn't take a play by play, you didn't you couldn't be a ref, you couldn't be a referee, and all you were talking about was a ring announcer. I don't know anybody else other than maybe Gary Capetta and I guess Howard Finkel, but uh that that started off as only a ring announcer, that was their only goal mm-hmm. and, and had and, and made it a quote unquote career uh so the, the the chances, I guess, looking back, were extremely slim. But I just, as long as there was a door open, I was going to push through it, and I and I loved it. I the thing is, it wasn't work for me. It wasn't. It was. It was. I I ate it all up. So oh. it was a passion. Uh, okay.
0: So I'm going to take you back. When was the first, I guess, formal time? Uh, what whatever it was, I don't know if it was at an armory or something. But when was the first official time that you stood in that ring with a microphone and and was what you'd call a ring announcer? So it was in
1: Immokalee, Florida. It was Global Wrestling Alliance. Mm-hmm. And they, they uh for T V they used an Elvis impersonator guy. So but uh they 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 were running house shows and they I had finally earned their trust uh, and uh and so they said come to Immokalee. and me and my DJ partner at the time, who was also a big wrestling fan, uh drove out there and I had no idea what to expect, Sean. I mean I had not been officially smartened up. I knew you know some things, but I didn't know if the guys were really friends. If they, you know, uh, you, you just don't know. It's not right. back then. You didn't know what it was. Yeah. You know, and and so I got there, and I remembered Adrian Street was there selling his uh, his book with the pink pages, and he was so proud of that. And you know, I was just introducing myself to everybody. So I went into the locker room, and. I, the first time I was ever in a wrestling locker room, and I had no idea what to expect, like I said. And the Iron Sheik, the main event was the Iron Sheik and Corporal Kirshner. Ooh. And the Iron Sheik walked in and he shook everybody's hand. How are you, sir? How are you, sir? How are you, sir? How are you, sir? And then, you know, so I'm just sitting there kind of taking it in. And then Corporal Kirshner walks in. And now I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, okay, now I'm going to see are they friendly? Do they just get along? Yeah. Uh, and, I know it, it all sounds so silly, but I'm taking you back on my journey. And all of a sudden they saw each other and they gave each other big bear hug and i was like the light the Uh, light bulb went off it was like you know and i was like okay i finally got all the questions answered that i need answered now i need to focus on staying around so uh yeah i did the show and did a couple other small shows and the company went out of business and me and bob roop who had become a mentor by that time uh uh bought the ring uh from the company after went out of business and started doing indie shows and spent the next couple of years driving up and down the road all the way north is uh fort myers fort pierce and fort myers and all the way south is key west promoting wrestling shows with bob and and he was just uh uh, uh he just taught me everything he knew we yeah, took a liking well, to me we cases. became family friends he, he t- taught me everything he knew, and so many light bulbs went off in my head, you know, and he, things he would tell me that I had remembered watching as a kid or watching as a teenager that I didn't realize at the time exactly what was happening, mm-hmm. and it was a whole new world. And he was nice enough to teach me that, and um, and and yeah, he went, he got a job working for uh, Ole Anderson as an agent in WCW, and he said, "Yeah, I'll take care of you." And you know, knowing what I know now about how 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 you know nobody wants to put their reputation on the line, especially for some mark who's, who who you know is a ring announcer yeah. uh th- the fact that he actually did go to bat for me and brought me and got me up there in any form or fashion uh I owe so much to him and then uh he introduced me to Jody Hamilton, the assassin and who booked the enhancement talent for w c w and Bob didn't last very long because only didn't last very long, but Jody kind of took over where Bob was stepped in and without those three guys, Larry Malenko Bob Roop, and Jody. Hamilton, this uh, little five foot six, non athletic Jewish guy would have uh, never gotten to live his dreams. So I am forever grateful.
0: Yeah, and, and you mentioned here the, how God you, the different ways you can make a living in, in wrestling, and especially from an outsider. If you weren't one of the boys, if you weren't a wrestler, and uh, you mentioned we call them enhancement talent back then. Uh, you know, they're known as jobbers, or but I found it really interesting that. Uh, that was a whole booking uh, area as well that you had to get people to come in and put these guys over, and that you made. That's they didn't exactly they didn't pay you directly, but you made money by booking these guys.
1: Yeah, so I, I drove up to Gainesville, and Gainesville, Georgia was the first show I was ever at, and Bob uh, Bob had, had hooked me up, and um, and I met with Jody here. He said, "Bring five good." talents and they'll each but we'll re, we'll pay for the rental van we're not going to pay you you pay for it we'll we'll reimburse you right. we'll pay for the gas uh and then we're not going to pay you but the, each guy tell each guy that they're going to pay you twenty five bucks way
0: standard that was standard then that's what well what i didn't know that did. at the
1: time yeah, yeah but but as as I learned more. You know, instead of Jody booking, calling 25 individual guys and booking them every, every week or every other week, uh, he had his own bookers. So he had Mike Jackson in Alabama and he had George South and Italian stallion in Georgia and the Carolinas. And he had, uh, 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 Rip Rogers out of uh, Kentucky, and uh, and I guess he needed somebody in Florida. So, if each of those guys bought five or six guys, and he only had to deal with three, you know, four or five people, and then, you know, he, he got his 25 guys that he needed. Right. And, you know, so the guys were used to paying a booking fee. And I was terrified at first because I'm asking these wrestlers who I don't know all that well, uh-huh. you know, to give me a booking fee. And they were like, they didn't think twice. They're like, uh-huh. sure, you're providing the transportation, right? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. He's like, sure, no problem. So that's how it started.
0: Yeah, and, so uh, how did you find these guys? That I mean, they, they they couldn't be just these jabronis, you know, these guys that didn't know. They had to know somewhat what the hell they were doing. So how did you evaluate talent? I imagine after a while you got to a stable of guys that you could use, but how did you even begin to get these people? Well, when
1: I first started, like I said, me and Bob Rupp had done like two years of indie shows okay, so with the all team. the local guys. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I kind of knew who, uh, who, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't know that much about the business, but I could, I knew who could entertain a crowd. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and so, you know, I made sure to stick with those people. And, um, as, as, uh, as I got, more into it i would take trips to tampa take trips to orlando to see indie shows and i had business cards made up and i would uh you know i would find anybody who wanted to go i remember uh mark Merrow was one of the guys that i i booked up as an enhancement talent and uh but he didn't want to drive up in the car and he didn't want to give me the 25 dollars, but he said he said if you he said if you book me i'll meet you there and i'll give you i think he said 15 dollars, i'm not sure 10 dollars, whatever yeah. And at the time, you know, I was like, well, okay, that's right. an extra guy. I don't have to put in my car. So I right. found money. Yeah. And then Dusty fell in love with him, made him Little Richard, and the rest is history. Yeah. But uh, but that didn't happen to most of the guys. Most of the guys, they were just doing it to, to, you know, because if you were on TV, you know, you got a good payday. And if you were on TV nationally, you became a bigger star in your uh, little area. Right.
0: You could be somewhat of a Just being living. in
1: the be, – yeah, being being in the, just being in the ring with the Four Horsemen and Dusty Rhodes and 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 Nikita Koloff and and Magnum and all those guys, uh, that just being in the ring with those guys, even if you didn't come out on top, and being able to to hold your own a little bit for a couple of minutes, it made you you know look. Tele- once you're on television, you know people have made have made. Uh, careers in, in, in you know they talk about viral moments i remember recently they you know i don't you, you might have saw this Sean they had um a little father and son who this and the son could hardly he was like 1 year old yeah. but they 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 took video of them like having a conversation back and forth i think it was about a basketball game you, did you see that
0: no it was
1: Oh, it was, but it looked like they were having a conversation, an animated conversation back and right. forth, but the the kid was one year old. He couldn't talk. So he was, gibber, he was talking gibberish. And the
0: father would say, yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah, I don't no, think I that I guy... saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And the kid yeah. would just get, went on for a, a long time. And, the kid, yeah. kid, and then he would talk and the kid would, <laughs> yeah. I oh, saw well, they that. just okay. signed to
1: do, they, they, they just signed to, my point is they just signed to do a Denny's commercial. So, so so being on television or the internet now uh being in front of people's uh in front of people's eyes is a powerful medium and it gives you credibility so those guys they had credibility when they went back to tampa or orlando and and you know they were the main events on those shows because they had just been on tv last week and not only on tv they're wrestling you know uh the, the, the big stars so yeah.
0: so back it up a little bit great. though i want to i want to explain to people because i don't, i don't know if people realize uh what how it went back in the day uh, i know the way it was with with WWF and WWE when you go to a town and we do tv tapings but uh you mentioned how these guys would come in and then you'd have your big stars and you'd have enhancement talent and that's what we would see on tv and explain the reason why that's the way it was done and then how people would see these guys at house shows
1: well because they didn't want to give away the the main uh it was a totally different world as we mentioned they didn't want to give away the main events on television uh they did it wasn't about ratings back then it was about having you know having good houses and uh you know the there was no pay-per-view. There was no, nobody really got paid for television back then at the time. Uh, uh, you were lucky if you didn't have to pay for it actually if you could just do a barter deal uh and so it wasn't about you know good television ratings it was about getting eyes on your products so then build up the big matches so they didn't put on tv dusty nikita and the road warriors against the four horsemen uh they wanted you to pay uh, your money to go see that in hampton virginia or the omni in atlanta or or uh, you know every city they they ran in and uh and so they put the Road Warriors and Dusty and Nikita against, and no disrespect to these guys, but Bob Cook and Rick Ryder and Ripper Rogers and uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know Joe Kazana. I'm just thinking of names, the guys that that, that worked back then, and uh, and and good workers who would would can make the have a competitive match with those guys. But at the end, the guys uh, get their hand raised and then cut an interview about what they're going to do when they get their real nemesis at the arena near you.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's the way it worked back then, uh, folks, that uh, that's yep. how wrestlers made their living. And that's, we're talking, that's how the superstars were uh, paid. The, even in the WWF, they got paid from house show money. And that's what the the, the entire superstars or, and, and wrestling challenge was all about promotion. That's what the event center was. I, I would be on, you know, three times during that show and we were basically just saying, "Hey, go to the house show," and that's how sure. the superstars made their livings. They would get a percentage of the gate, uh, whatever that uh, might be. But that's how it was done. So, uh, enhancement talent was a big part of it, especially the good ones. And you mentioned a few of the guys, and and no disrespect at all. We just I did an interview with Barry Horowitz, and these guys, great guy. Then uh, as I said, there's kind of there was a difference to me, and even back then, and we didn't call them enhancement talent. Dave, but we, but to me there was the jobbers and those are the guys that they would bring in that were basically hamburger for the superstars to go out and destroy. And then you had, they wrestled the road warriors. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they would just destroy them. And then you had the Steve Lombardi's, you had the Barry Horowitz, the Mike Sharps would come on that you would put with an established star and this guy could actually work and you, and then made them look even better. It wasn't where, like you said, you get the road warriors out there or whatever, who would just basically just beat the living crap out of these guys and just look mean and nasty that's all they had to do the other ones though there right. was a whole different level of talent
1: one thing about that era and that whole process that goes uh yeah. forgot that goes unremembered a lot yeah. is is the because and I'm saying and you you, you represent yourself event center. When I was in WCW and uh finally uh, was on the road full time with them, I was producing the mark, market specific interviews, which is basically right. your event centers. Yeah. And we had got God we were very lucky to have God bless him, uh, Gene uh, for a while and then yes. uh we had um we had uh, uh, Lee Marshall, and um, and then I actually did it towards the very end. And um, we had they set up a gray box with air conditioning in the parking lot behind the truck, and we would do them out of the gray box. And and what my, my the point I'm getting to is that's where some of the young guys would get a chance to hone their interview craft, right? Because that's they didn't get a lot of interview time on yeah. the main TV. So I remember guys like Chavo Junior and, and Chris Jericho, Chris will be the first one to tell you, he was the first one at that gray box every week. And if we, and, you know, and, and, cause you know, you weren't always going to get Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair in that gray box. You tried and, and, you know, if it was a big enough uh, arena, they would make sure to get them there for you. But when you were going to, uh, uh you know, uh, sunrise, Florida or Augusta, Georgia, or, or uh, Muncie, Indiana, You know, you had to get creative and the guys like Chris Jericho, you know, there's so many guys that I can remember that that just lived in that gray box and honed their craft by cutting. That's how they learn how to cut promos. And that's, as we know, a lost art as well. So that's the part of that whole enhancement, you know, building to the arenas and all that. I think that's the part that suffers the most is the fact that these guys don't get that interview time that they did uh, to hone their craft and, and, and learn their character.
0: Yeah, that's a great point, Dave. Because uh, I remember back uh, when I worked there, and just how you'd see these guys come in who they could barely put a sentence together, and then just but doing it, you know, the the we with the event center interviews, and these guys would do, you know, 20, 30 at a time, and they uh, and see them get better and better. And I mean, like a big example uh, just off the top of my head is you know Brett Hart. Uh, Brett was. Sure. Now, it's not that he hadn't been in front of a microphone before that but when you saw uh, how in that couple of years there the couple three years there that he you know became very good at at doing it there was so many others too and you're right you you don't get that opportunity and and you mentioned Jericho now he saw the opportunity there and knew that the that was his way to improve you got to get out there and do it and you had other guys that just didn't take advantage of it and thought that their ring skill was going to help them Succeed, and you had you know you have to have it all, and that's that's really a great point because cutting a promo is an art. There's no question about it. You could
1: tell which young guys were hungry. Yeah and which ones were serious about may, having a future in the business as opposed to collecting a paycheck yeah. by who was hanging around that gray box just waiting for the opportunity. And not only was it an opportunity to learn their interview style, it was an opportunity to work with Gene Oakland, who yeah, right. I, I miss I miss him so much. And oh, uh, he, he, I know you got to work with him, too, and I'm sure you miss him just as much. He could do an interview, you know, with a with a, uh, with a a hockey stick and make it entertaining. Yeah. So if the guy couldn't talk, you know, talking with mean Gene, mean gene could carry anybody so you know that that made them at ease because they're working with a guy that you know even if they mess up or even if they they get lost you know Jeans has their back and gene's the best ever and uh and so so not you know to 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 be able to learn the the process of cutting your promo and and learning your character and but but doing it with a guy like mean gene Okerlund, who who's the best of all time in my opinion yeah. uh uh, you know, that was that was, you know, again, you talk about me get, uh, getting Larry Malenko and how much knowledge and value I, that would, you know, if you look back, I, you couldn't pay for that kind of uh, uh, value. You know, guys like Jericho and Eddie and, and Chavo and people like that who got to hone their craft under uh, uh, being Gene Okerlund as far as interviews go, that, that's invaluable. There's not enough money that you could yeah, pay right. to get that kind of uh, uh, to get that kind of education.
0: Do any come to mind? You mentioned uh, how you saw some of these guys progress and, and uh, Jericho certainly being one of them. Do you remember any others that were just really rough when they started and you saw them develop over a period of time and become very successful? Uh,
1: Chavo was one. Um, he he kind of got thrown to the fire because yeah. his last name was Guerrero yeah. and Eddie was hot. Yeah. and um, and And he really had not... Gotten a lot of experience as opposed to Eddie, who had wrestled in Japan, Mexico, ECW, and all of that crap of guys. Dean Malenko, they had experience in Japan. I think Chavo went over to Japan one time, and all of a sudden they threw him on TV with uh, Steven Regal who can make anybody look like a million bucks. And of course, if your last name is Guerrero, they're going to make, he's going to make him look like a million bucks and got a contract. And I remember I would ride with him and Jericho and Eddie and Chris Benoit, which is a whole different story. But, um, and, and Chavo was, you know, and he, he, I had him on my podcast, couple months ago and he told me you know that with he had a whole you know they say it takes a village he had a whole village uh eddie and 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 dean and and chris and uh uh perry saturn and and kurt hennig and uh, i mean all these all these uh guys that would you know had his back because they kind of threw him to the fire and uh you know trial by fire and uh so he he was one that that stands out um uh, you know, I, the first time I ever saw Ray Mysterio, I knew there was something special with that guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't know if he'd be world champion, you know, cause it was a different era and which he, he became, but there was, there was, when I first saw him, the first time I saw Ray Mysterio wrestle, there was something special with the kid. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I, and, you know, to this day, he's, uh, is I think one of the most talented in-ring performers. And really, you know, you talk about the high acrobatic style that we see now really was the innovator of that style. It made it seem almost uh, easy. and um, and
0: He he just took it to a whole different level. I mean, we'd seen some high flyers before, but not like what uh, Ray was doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I remember when they, when they promoted that he was going to be there and, Uh, you know, people were, you know, people were, you know, how guys talk in the locker rooms and they're like, yeah, I heard this guy's like five, five and uh, you know, like 120 pounds and I wonder how it's going to work. So, you know, he, he, he didn't even realize it, but he had a lot of pressure walking in that dressing room and walking up to that ring on nitro because of, of his size at the time, when you were that size, you were not taken seriously as an athlete, as a pro wrestler. Uh, And, um, and he was just so good. So good from the first thing he, from the first move he did, he was so good that you just didn't even realize he was five, five and 140 pounds or whatever he was. He was, uh, He he was just the the special attraction that uh, did things that nobody else could do and and make them look so smooth that everybody should be able to do them. It was it was amazing and it's funny. I I, I'd love to get Ray on the podcast. Uh, You know, contractually, I don't think he's allowed to do it on mine. But um, uh, I don't even think he realized how much pressure he had. I wonder if he even knows yeah. how much pressure he had with the boys kind of talking behind his back when they first heard about him coming in. And I don't, I, I said that with no disrespect, yeah. but it was just a different era. And, yeah.
0: you know, no, exactly. it was a big
1: guys, especially then it was yeah. it was a big guy's business.
0: Well, that's it. And that's, a, that's exactly the point there is that, you know, you didn't put a little guy up against a big monster. Uh, and, and because it just was, you know, unreal if you tried to put him over at all. And it, but the thing with Ray, though, is that you—he made those matches believable. That he could go up yeah. against somebody like that, and the way that he moved, and the the different uh, you know attacks that he had on some of these, you know, where he could go up somebody against against like Batista, and you bought that. that. yeah, I believe it because he was so you know so he could trick these guys. He had these moves that would come around swinging off the ropes, and you know, flipping off the top rope and grabbing their uh, up the the turnbuckle and twisting, doing a leg scissor on their head. And I mean, just all of the different things he did, you bought it. I mean, it was believable, but you're right. I can imagine him coming in, which I didn't see when he came in, uh, how much pressure he must have faced and and also getting guys to to agree to go into the ring with him.
1: Well, breakouts. at first he started with the Luchadors, who who knew him from Mexico, and yeah. then it, th- that was a, he was able to step to the next level. But you got to remember, and you know this too, because you were there in the early '90s, late mm-hmm. '80s, early '90s. It was all about bodies. Oh, uh you know oh, there were guys nice. like and and nothing. I take nothing away from any of these guys, but guys like Van Hammer and uh, Todd Champion, who didn't have a lot of uh, training. But they were put out there because they had a good look with a muscular body. So, you know, all of a sudden this little guy comes in and people start wondering, you know, well, you know, this is a a big man's business now. Uh, (laughs) So it was it was. It, w- it would be interesting to find out if he knew how much pre- that uh, how much pressure that he had from the locker room, but it uh, didn't take long for that pressure to go right away yeah. because as soon as he started, like you know, like I said, two minutes in, you knew you were seeing something special.
0: Yeah, and and he was one of the uh, people who opened a lot of doors for smaller guys, and and uh, sure. made it a big part of what we see have seen since. Uh sure. we we, we you know, uh, for- got off track there a little bit, but uh, you know, you. Saw the WCW. You mentioned, uh, you know, you, how you got in, but you really saw the the rise and, and fall of the WCW. And um, you know, where did it go from being, uh, I guess, an agent to the enhancement talent to where you really started doing a lot of different jobs, I guess, within that organization. Well, um, when
1: I first started going up, I said, you know, is there anything that I could do to help out? I'm there. Yeah. I'm not, you know, and, and so ironically, one of the things I would do is run and get guys for the market specific interviews. Uh, we didn't have a gray box back then. We just, they did it in another part of the uh, arena uh, with a, with a green, a green screen. Right. And, um, so I would do that for Jim Ross. And then they started to trust me a little bit more. I would, I'd sign in the guys cause everybody had to sign in their real name and, and, and their signature was sort of like a, uh, it was it probably wasn't worth the paper it was written on, but it was sort of a release that they could put you on right. television and and if you got hurt, you know, and and then the enhancement guys, whenever the new enhancement guys came in, they needed, you know, their social security number and tax info and all that. And before you know, it, it's funny, um, Tommy Rich and Junkyard Dog gave me uh, gave me the name Walking Man, because all I do the whole <laughs> day and night is walk around getting signatures, getting papers filled out, it, it, eventually running off the okay. formats when they were ready. And so, uh, if you had God a blessed you probably
0: would have walked how many miles?
1: <laughs> ten. Uh, God, a lot more than I do now. Yeah, probably yeah. ten miles. But yeah, they call, they call me Walking Man. Look at, look at that Walking Man. He's always walking. Did and you? Uh,
0: did you have a position? I mean, were you? Did they pay you? uh I mean, a regular job or how did it work? You no. Know, <laughs> I was just a. I was a stooge. You just hung out. <laughs>
1: I was there anyway, and uh, I was willing to work, and they didn't have to pay me. And I was hungry, and I was, wow. and I would do anything they asked me to yeah. do, or even stuff that nobody else wanted to do, like filling out paperwork and stuff like that. You know, so I just, like I said, I was, I, 100 miles an hour, I was going to keep going until somebody wow. said you can't go anymore. See, and um, I
0: mentioned, like I said at the top, man, you're the, you, you know, you there's the persistence, and then there's there's David Penzer. <laughs> <laughs> really, that's that's kind of true. Yeah, so you weren't even getting paid. You just did it because for the love of it, and you were you wanted to get in. Yeah. Oh, I
1: wasn't getting paid a dime. I did only for only, first time I ever got paid was when I I, uh, I did the backup ring announcer gig. It was funny because J- Jim Ross was the announcer and he was in charge of the r- announcers and the ring announcer. And then if you remember, there was a time that Jim Ross went to WWF and Tony Schiavone came back to WCW. Well, I had told Jim Ross. Uh, a couple of times we talked about it. Hey, you know, I'm a ring announcer down in Florida. If you ever need, you know, I work hard, you know, yeah. from walking around and helping you get guys and stuff. If you ever have an opportunity for, uh, need a ring announcer, you know, give me a shot. So, but then Tony came up to me like the second week he was there and he's like, you're the guy who drives the guys from Florida, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, well, we, we got, we need a backup ring announcer. And there's a guy who used to work for WWF. You probably remember him, Sean. His name is Dino Puglia. Uh-huh. Okay, and uh, he said, "When you drive him up," and I'm thinking to myself, "All right, it's now or never. You got to speak up, Penzer." Yeah. I was intimidated as heck, but I said, "You know, I had told Jim Ross before he left, and and I don't think I ever got a chance to tell you, but I ring announced too on um, the indie shows. I'd love an opportunity. You know, I've been working hard here trying to get my foot in the door." He said, "I'll tell you what. Next week you can bring up Dino, and then the week after that you'll get a shot, and whoever's the best ring announcer." Uh, we'll hire you. And quite frankly, I think I won by default. Uh, I was, I, I was coming up there anyway. Yeah. I was driving up there anyway. So they didn't have to buy me a plane ticket. They didn't have to put me in a, you know, I was already coming up there and I was already doing a whole bunch of things. And, you know, Dino didn't blow anybody away. He had a great voice, but, um, uh, I think he missed a couple of, uh, he got a couple of, uh, intros. And, you know, he showed the wrong guy first and I was petrified. And I told you early on, this was my moment now. Think about this, all the blood, sweat, and tears that I had put in, and this was my moment. I said I could ring announce, and I said I could be a ring announcer, and I could be part of this company. And if that wasn't going to work, there was no use in coming up anymore. I mean, there just wasn't. If they said no, then the dream was was over. And so that's a lot of pressure. And I wrote out every single word I was going to say on a piece of paper in the ring, not only just like the introductions, but every single word I was going to do in the warm-ups, and every single word I was good at things I would say between matches, and how to rile up the crowd, which I learned from Gary Capetta, who was a master at it. Yeah. And uh, like I said, I think I won by default. I don't think I was great at first, but uh, I was I was coming up anyway. So let the guy come up and bring your tuxedo, and you do the the, the syndicated shows.
0: Well, that's but uh, either way, like you said, probably all all that uh, that uh, footwork and literally was footwork <laughs> that you did. Uh, to get there it uh, paid off and so you became yeah, i mean
1: just even yeah just even being there to listen to gary you know while you rang the bell sometimes during the matches during tv and you know where i was backstage and just being able to listen to gary uh to you know because it was different i know wwf wwe they don't really have the announcers talking between the ring announcer talking between the matches but in wcw probably because uh, we didn't have a Hulk Hogan, so to speak, uh, that we could put on at the end of the night, mm-hmm. and that would keep the crowd there. We had to, we had to, we had to sell them the yeah. So it was always a sell job. Between every match was a sell job. You know, tell them who's coming up. You know, tell them they're going to be on TV. You know, tell them, to yell and scream, and, and so you know that it was a totally different entity. Wow. Uh, it's funny when uh, the last Nitro. Again, we're jumping ahead. I have a habit of doing that, unfortunately. The last night show, as you know, Shane McMahon was there because he was doing the the angle. And Shane stopped me after the night show was over and said, I've never seen a ring announcer do anything like that. You do a great job out there, or getting the crowd into it, yeah. and I, I was very humbled. And I said, "Thank you, sir. I really appreciate that." And I thought maybe that it might help me get a gig, but um, <laughs> but then I thought about it, and yeah, the announcer they don't talk between matches, no, so yeah. obviously he had never seen that.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's that is really interesting yeah, that they that you're a part of the show. And in a lot of cases, especially in the latter years uh, with the WWF, is you know the less the Uh, ring announcer is seen and heard that's pretty much it they do it as a kind of a formality but back then you know Howard has had his own style but he wasn't doing anything in between matches like that you were you were uh, definitely part of the show and when did it become a regular gig uh, that you were you know the guy
1: well, um, I just the main guy. I, I, it didn't happen until 1994. Gary had told me. Gary Capetta had told me he was leaving when his contract was up. Yeah. Uh, I didn't believe him for 30 seconds, and I certainly didn't believe that they were going to put my green, you know what, out there in his place. Uh, but you were, you were working talk- right.
0: But you were working the whole time there. I mean, they were. Was it a yeah. full time job doing the other jobs that you had and filling in at house shows? Is that how it worked?
1: It became pretty much a full-time job for about a year before Gary left. Because uh-huh. um, uh, I they, I went on the road, because uh, Gary, uh, obviously the pay that I was getting per night versus what Gary was getting was a, was a lot different, and the house shows weren't drawing very well. So unless Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair, or, well, Rick was on almost all the shows, but unless Hulk Hogan, who they had brought in, was on the show, I was doing most of the uh, the house shows. So again, a way to lo- hone your craft and, uh, and, and learn and, um, and, and yeah, make a little money. I wasn't getting rich, but I was slowly but surely making, eking out a living, uh, doing what I love to do. And, uh, like I said, Gary came to me and said, I'm gone in six months. And then he said three months later, I'm gone. And he tried to teach me some stuff. And sure enough, I think it was, uh, was it the Dayton, uh, the Harrow arena in Dayton, which I saw recently got, uh, badly damaged by a, by a storm that went through there, but it was one of my favorite buildings to play. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, spring, I want to say spring stampede. It was in April. It might not have been spring stampede. The main event was, um, was flair against, uh, uh, um, uh, Randy Savage. And, uh, and and I was sure up until the time I went out that they were going to have somebody come in and do the, do the ring announcing. Cause I had never been on pay-per-view before. I'd never been on the A show before. I was always just on the house shows and the, the B syndicated shows. Mm-hmm. And Eric Bischoff came in and said, it's your job. Go run with it. Wow. And I said, yes, sir. I'll do my best. And, um, uh, and you know, at that point they moved me to Atlanta and, uh, put me on a salary uh, which was not very much at all, but uh, it was it was you know for somebody who had a young kid and one on the way, it was it was something, yeah. and you know got to work you know got all the benefits of Turner Broadcasting, so insurance and four hundred one k and all that stuff. But um, I was in, man, yeah. I was in. I was just living my dream. And then who'd ever thought that we'd explode the way we did uh, yeah, with Monday saw, Night yeah. Show? And
0: it's it's amazing that uh, you know you saw. Uh, the WCW evolve, And at what point do you remember it really starting to change? Um, did it happen before Eric took over? When did you start to see things really start to to happen where uh, you started to see this wave building? When Scott Hall
1: walked down the steps in Macon, Georgia and cut his promo about Steam gene, where you want a war, we're here to give you a war. Yeah. That's when I said, Holy crap. This is on, um, and this is good, yeah. and that's sort of when it took off. This NWO started, Hulk turned heel, and away we went. And all of a sudden, we went from you know doing little three thousand seat arenas to uh, at one point we were selling out stadiums all over the place. It was crazy. It's absolutely nuts. You know, uh, you know when the NWO got hot. You know, we used to go to um, to some of these towns we would go to and get. Five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred people on a regular basis, and all of a sudden we'd show up, like Greenville, South Carolina. We showed up one day and was sold out. Thirty-five hundred people, and we was like, "Sold out? What is sold out? We didn't know <laughs> sold out. There was no such thing as sold out. It was, it was if you could hit a thousand people, you'd say it's a good house. And uh, and all of a sudden it sold out. Uh, Biloxi, Mississippi. I'll never remember. It was staying in. Um, Sting and uh, Randy Savage against uh, Hall and Nash as the outsiders, and we used to put you know six seven hundred people in that place, and and uh, 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 all of a sudden it had six thousand people in there, wow. and we, it was just all of a, it, was, it. It was it's hard to explain, Sean. It just started happening, and the momentum ran, and it just it was it, it went on. We went on a roll that nobody could have ever predicted. I'm pretty sure Eric would tell you the same
0: thing, and um, and and I just rolled with it. Wow. Right, off we went you know and and you uh, you talk about that you know, Scott Hall stands out to you uh, NWO when that when that formed and it wasn't like the WCW didn't have some really great talent there and during those years the time that you know I was with the WWF they had really great talent and a lot of them ended up coming to the, the WWE but and and they mentioned a lot of people they say you know Eric had this one great idea and it built all the 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 franchise there Uh, do you think it was NWO, that's what really started this? And then, you know, of course they got more talent, but was that kind of the focal point?
1: Well, I mean, I think it started when we did the first night show and they brought out Lex Luger, who was supposed to be in WWE, and he yeah. actually was on a tape show. Yeah. Uh, he had been in uh, Western Canada the night before on a house show teaming with Davey Boy Smith, and that was the first time they ever really kayfabed the boys. Everybody, nobody knew, like three people knew yeah. that Lex Luger was there, and... So I could remember seeing Lex Luger walk out and I sorta of thought, Game on, all right, they're here they're not messing around. We we may not have a good shot, but they're at least they're giving it the college try. Yeah. And uh the ratings came back and everybody was shocked. And so the next week we went to Miami and we did it again, and that was head to head and I think the ratings stayed about even and um and you know you were there. WWF at the time was mostly character driven. You know, everybody had a gimmick, uh, you know, the garbage man, the hockey player, the, the coal miner and all the different stuff. And I think it was just a new, a different fresh product and people found it quickly. Uh, Eric was brash and bold about giving away what was going on in the tape shows and, 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 and that was sort of different. Um, so I I just think the word started getting around and people started watching it. And then, the perfect storm developed because WWF responded with the scheme gene and the billionaire Ted Skitt. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, and Nash are available to pretty much walk from one place to the other with very little uh, uh, weight. And then to incorporate both those things, to have those guys come in under the guise of where, you know, you want a war. We're here to battle you. We're really from the outside. We're from WWE. F, yeah. And we're here to invade WCW. I, that was something that had really never been done before in the in the US on any major level. And the execution I thought was brilliant. And then when Hulk turned heel in Daytona Beach, that was that was you know like I said we were off and running, and I was just along for the ride. I'd go wherever they took me.
0: You know, in and, and, uh, in a lot of ways, the WWE. Uh, unwittingly, uh, helped the war become what it was. It, it, if sure. Fitz had stuck to what he always, uh, you know, said he stood by, they they wouldn't have noticed the the other group didn't exist. The fact that when they did recognize that they this competition existed, as you said, game on. But it uh, it helped uh, both organizations uh, And the <laughs> and for that period of time, eighty three weeks. No. But what a great time for professional wrestling. If you're a wrestling fan, my God, it, it, could, it could not have gotten better.
1: Yeah like I said it was a perfect storm and, yeah. and and you would just wait to see who's coming out the who was coming out and we didn't know you know there was almost every week somebody new was coming out you know they were trotting Virgil out and Ted DiBiase yeah. out and 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 you know uh, uh x-talk and uh, you just never knew who was going to walk out in the black and white and uh and join the NWO and 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 it became must-watch television for sure yeah. uh uh you know it it was must-watch for us cuz we had no clue You know, uh, the last segment of every show in the, in the, in the, uh, uh, format was TBD (laughs) (laughs) and only, only only seats. Only Keith Mitchell, the producer, well, we had the, in the match, and then under the match notes, it was TBD, and Keith Mitchell knew he was the executive producer in the truck, and, and uh, uh, the director knew, obviously, and, and, you know, Jane Engel knew because she was in charge of hiding him, but other than probably Hulk knew, I'm sure, and Holland Nash, but other than that, you know, Piper would come out, Ultimate Warrior would come out, nobody would have a clue. I had no clue when I heard the bagpipes. I popped as much as anybody else did because I was a huge Roddy Piper yeah. fan. I had no clue. I popped as much as as as, as sitting ringside with a microphone in my hand inside. Obviously, I couldn't you know yell and scream in the microphone, but yeah. I, I popped as much as the people sitting at home did. It was amazing. You said you that's like what to I be said. Surprised. I missed the, That's what I said. I missed the surprises. That's yeah, why yeah. I like. Uh, you know uh i really love a good being fooled because you know it's great that the fans now could could see the inner inner, inner action of the you know inner uh parts of the business and i yeah. guess that's cool uh i guess it's a whole different wave but uh but i miss being i miss being surprised i miss that little mark in me that little 10 year old boy in me that uh turned on channel six and uh saw superstar billy graham steve strong and ox baker and and uh got excited i miss that and uh that was one of the cool things about night shows. You never knew who was going to walk out that door, so you had to watch live.
0: Yeah, And I think that uh, we talk about that period, and it really was a great time for professional wrestling. It was never going to be the same again. Vince McMahon might not agree, but boy, did it, uh, it changed the industry as far as what uh, they were doing down at WCW, actually paying guys a lot of money and giving them contracts, which are sure. guaranteed money. But it's uh, it's it, it was great to see that happen. I think if we look back, and uh, you know, and it's changing again, which is another conversation. But at that point in time, man, did it rock the industry and and, and the business side of this, and, and and in favor of the boys and and, and women, I should mention as well. But it, it just really was just something that needed to happen, and what a great period of time. Yeah, and then you know also.
1: there came a time that WCW sort of ran out of surprises and sort of ran out of didn't know how to finish off the whole NWO story. So it kind of dragged on and that's when, wwe came up with uh the attitude era with yeah. uh steve steve austin and and the rock and you never knew what they were you know vincent mcmahon as a as a character as yeah. a heel character and 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 then that became must watch tv and we didn't we weren't must watch tv anymore because everybody wanted to hear what the rock was going to say what Stone Cold was going to say you know what he was going to do in his uh, uh you know in his escapades against mr mcmahon you know bring a beer truck out and uh you know uh, scorch them all in beer in the middle of the ring or whatever. It, it it switched. And it almost switched on a dime.
0: Yeah. Well and and uh a lot of the the storyline of this that people don't know about is what happened behind the scenes. Now there are books and uh, out there, but you were right there. And was it always a circus backstage and did it just uh change be when you know when you're riding this big wave and everybody's having a great time and everybody's making a fortune it's a lot different than when the business starts to go down. Guys have these guaranteed contracts. Their egos are just as big as they always were. Was it always a circus? No, but people got,
1: like you said, the egos got big. There's a lot of, a lot of huge money involved. And I didn't, I didn't see much of that, but there was a lot on the upper, on the, on the, and even some towards the end on the lower level, if you're a wrestler, but, um, uh, yeah. You can sort of see it, you know, uh, slowly, but surely, you know, uh, the formats would change more often later in the day. And then it got to be that sometimes the, you know, the formats, we didn't even have a format when we went live, you know, Keith Mitchell would tell me in my IFB what to announce. And the announcers had no idea. They were just talk about calling what they see. They're literally calling what they were seeing without any guide. Uh, and, and and then it just it sort of it sort of went off the track and they tried to put it back on the track a bunch of times. I give them credit. And, you know, you never know if Eric would have been able to buy the company and and and, and keep the time slot, the TV. Mm-hmm. You know, they might have been able to make it work. But uh, uh, once we once, you know, the writing was on the wall, uh, it, 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 a lot of it, you know, I've come to figure out. Sean, that a lot of it had to do with not so much us falling apart and and losing a ton of money, but that even if we were doing really well, that uh, once uh, Time Warner and AOL merged with Turner and Turner lost power, they were going to find a way to make make us uh, go away and um we just kind of helped them in their in their we, we kind of we we did we we sort of helped them in 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 their uh, goal but that was going to be the goal at the end of the day anyway we just sort of maybe sped it up a little bit cuz uh we were pretty dysfunctional but it wasn't always that way no it was uh it was it, it was went from like a you know a football team working together to try to be it from an underdog to a super bowl champion to a bunch of guys with big contracts and big egos and and Look, you know, I'm sure those guys look back and say, hey, you know, I got caught up in it and it's easy to get caught up in it. But uh, but, you know, that's just what it was. And uh, it was difficult. You know, it was, it was, it was I'm not going to lie and say it wasn't difficult. Thank God the the mind has a way to erase a lot of the negative and only remember the positive. So all these years, 20 years later or so, you know, I don't I don't remember a lot of the negative. I, I, I remember a lot of the positive stuff. But, yeah, there was a lot of negative. It was pretty crazy towards yeah. the end.
0: Yeah, and and it's like anything else; it can't last forever. It was uh, it was a unique time, uh, that as you said, we'll talk about NWO and how great that was, that what that what they did with it, and having and Hulk involved, and uh, that was you know I remember when he came in there, people were questioning, well, boy, you know how's this going to work? Well, man, it that's that's a lot of ways why it worked, and these other personalities, but at some point, it has to end, and of course, it was helped along as you mentioned. Uh, you know the change of management, uh, so to speak with, uh, with Time Warner and AOL and uh, as you mentioned, but they and they started putting restrictions on what could be done on television on their television. and then Vince was a, in a you know, situation where they were desperate to, and they took it from it was no, no longer family entertainment in a sense. it became uh, in many ways adult entertainment uh, and, and that, that helped them uh, get to where they did. And, and at some point, you know, that that machine was just going to outlast uh, what was going on down <laughs> south. But it was really just a really, really incredible period of time for, for, uh, for professional wrestling uh, that uh, changed the industry forever. And I don't think it could have absolutely. been sustained, but really, it, it, it it's just such a, a great period of time. And really, in the end, it was very beneficial for the business. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. And, uh, Yeah. Especially for the guys, the guys, like you said, they went from working totally off the houses, uh, to, uh, to having guaranteed money and, 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 part of the merchandise, which was something that really wasn't a big deal back in the, uh, seventies and early eighties. And, um, and video games, you know, I heard okay. guys at WWE were getting huge, you know, almost uh, six-figure video game checks every six months. So, I mean, that's that's that was stuff that nobody ever expected. And a lot of people that saved their money uh, that were around back in the day, a lot of people that saved their money uh, are pretty well off right now. And um, And, you know, a lot of people that are working now – with wwe because it's a public company and 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 because of the structure of of uh of guaranteed money uh you know they there they may not be stars on television all of them but from what i hear they're all making a pretty darn good living
0: yeah and, and for you dave yeah. what, as you look back what was really the uh, beginning of the end when it was it was uh you knew it was going to be over and then what was the final act for you I don't know that I ever thought it was going to be over.
1: I thought that, that Eric was going to buy the company and I thought that really? Eric I, I was working very tightly with John Laurinaitis. If the company would have been bought uh, by, uh, by Eric yeah. and we would have kept the television time, the plan was that John Laurinaitis was going to be Eric's right-hand man. Sure. And I was going to be, I already was John Laurinaitis' right-hand man. I got involved in talent relations and stuff like that. And John took a liking to me, kind of took me under his wing. And I would do a lot of data, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of comparisons to uh, keeping track of what angle, what, when the ratings went up, when the ratings went down from week to week and what where, what were the players involved, and they were really starting to get serious to trying to you know uh, pay attention and not do everything on the fly and so, from what little I knew about what Eric was going to do if he bought the company, I really thought that they had a decent chance really? uh, to 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 make it maybe not yeah. on the 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 level that it was before, but i didn't think it was going away yeah. i didn 't realize at the time because of my position uh like I said, and I've come to realize now through books and and talking to Eric and talking to Craig Leathers and Keith Mitchell that, you know, they knew it was doomed because they knew that, that, you know, AOL and Time Warner didn't want a wrestling company and they're going to make it go away. I didn't know that at the time, probably better off because I did it. driven me nuts. It would have driven me nuts to know that I'm on a sinking ship because at least, you know, there was always a light at the end of the tunnel in my eyes. But, um, yeah, so I I woke up one morning and I turned on the I had a friend call me and I turned on the internet and I turned on the splash page to um, to wcw dot com and I'll never forget it and the upper left hand corner it had the WWF logo nice. and then it, it, then right in the middle of the screen it had purchases and then on the bottom right it had bottom right it had the WCW logo that's how I found out wow and, and what a deal. I looked at my wife. I looked at my wife and I said, what are we going to do now? <laughs> and and so I went out to that last night show and I said, look whatever it happens, I'm going to leave it all out there and I've worked my butt off and, and 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 worked hard and and uh you know and and the great thing was, thank God, knock on wood, uh I had 8 months severance pay, so I didn't have to figure out what I was going to do the next week yeah. you know so i had full pay and full benefits for eight months so it gave me a chance to to figure out what i was going to do and ended up working for a top, upstart company called the xwf out of oh, yeah. tampa yeah. uh that never got off the ground and and then i had to kind of find my way without the wrestling business for a while until i started doing some stuff with uh tna uh ring announcing for them and um uh, and you know now i'm a realtor and uh uh, I've owned a couple of side businesses, and you know you got to figure out life after wrestling. But at least between the severance pay and the XWF, it gave
0: me a little bit of uh, time to figure out life after wrestling. Yeah, and you think about that deal, man. What what a deal, Vince got. Uh, just the library alone was just, what a steal. For uh, I'm I remember uh, Hulk saying, if I if I knew, I'd offer him double. Yeah, you know? Mean, God, it's just amazing because you look at what's on the. He pretty much owns it all now. I mean, there's just uh, uh, not a whole lot out there that they don't have. But really, it's it's just amazing how it all ended. And you mentioned the uh, the XWF. Um, was that just a bunch of guys saying, "Okay, now what do we do"? Is that how that formed with with all those guys?
1: Sort sort of, um, but I mean, there was money behind it. But it was sort yeah. of. Uh, Uh, the nasty boys and Jimmy Hart and Greg Valentine of all people, Randy Savage really started the ball rolling, but then walked away uh, towards the end of the deal and didn't want to be involved anymore. I'm not sure why. Uh, but uh, it was started out with Randy Savage and Jimmy Hart uh, trying to find a, another viable option for professional wrestling, mm-hmm. sort of what TNA was trying to do, but totally different way. Uh, TNA tried the weekly pay-per-views; we were trying to do a, uh, you know, just the same old weekly television show, and we had uh, we had Piper and yeah, great and great Sable great. and the Road Warriors and uh, a, lot, a lot of big names, Donner Brothers, and. Uh, they got some uh, money backers through um, a guy named Kevin Harrington, who's out of Tampa. If you you might remember, he originally was a shark on Shark, tank, shark tank and yeah. then got yeah. re- got replaced by um, Mark Cuban. And uh, he had invented one of the inventors of the infomercial. And he found some money people to buy the company, to, to, to fund the company. And we put together five hours of episodic television and uh you know had some big names mean gene was there and bobby heenan tony shivani and jerry lawler were the announce team well you could see the problem start when jerry lawler showed up and he had been tr- desperately trying to get back in wwf uh for months because he had been let go i guess something happened with him stacy carter at the time uh-huh. and um and it was pretty well known, so I'm not saying anything that anybody yeah, didn't, no, no. didn't know Man, about. He's told you know? the
0: story too, so. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and 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 he came in and said, "Well, I got to deal with Vince," and they so, and then you know Hulk Hogan was involved in our tapings, and 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 Hulk Hogan short, uh, shortly had to deal with Vince, and then they brought yeah. me and Gene back, and Bobby yeah. Heenan back, and Kurt Hennig back, and all of a sudden we're out showing the tape with a bunch of uh, talent. That are well known, but we don't have we don't They're have anymore because they anymore. didn't put these guys, <laughs> they didn't put these guys under contract. You can't afford to put all these guys under contract. Yeah. We just figured, yeah. hey, you know these guys are going to stick with us because there's nothing else. Yeah. And other than WWE, and and but once Vince got, I don't know if it was Vince or somebody in WWE, but once he got a whiff that there was some he- you know heavy yeah. names Something that were trying to on. go against him, he grabbed a bunch of the main players, yeah. and uh, and that was the end of that, yeah. as they say.
0: Dave, uh, really, I appreciate you taking the time. I don't know if uh, you get a chance. I mean, you get interviewed here once in a while, that uh, on podcasts, and I know you have your very own podcast, sitting ringside with David Penzer. But uh, do you ever take the time to think about, man, I did all that. I, I, you know, was around all these people. This is you were a kid who just wanted to, you know, hang out and 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 just be a part of it.
1: Yeah, and it's amazing because I tell people, you know, I lived my dream. Now the rest is gravy. So mm-hmm. I had to figure out what to do after I lived my dream, uh, and and you know I figured it out. And 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 thanks to the WWE network and and a little nostalgia becoming uh, big uh, big in the wrestling business, mm-hmm. you know, somebody like me could could have a podcast where people actually like to listen, and 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 you know who who would have known that it's it's you know I, I still have to pinch myself sometimes, Sean. <laughs> so, you know I. Yeah. I wake up and I have to sell houses and if I don't have any clients, I don't have any business. And so, you know, it's, it's, and then, you know, my, my mom calls me and says, you'll never guess what happened. And I said, what happened? She said, I called to, uh, to, to, make some rental car reservations for a trip that we're going on. And they asked me what my last name was. And I said, Penzer and the person on the other line said P E N Z E R, like the ring announcer. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. you know, there, that, that just happened this past weekend. And, uh, and I said, yeah, if only that was the, you know, that that's an anomaly. It's not the norm, but you know, just to, to have that little 10 seconds of fame and to be able to live my life. And not only that, as you said, be part of, a, of an era of professional wrestling that may not ever be, uh, that may not ever be uh, redone. Uh, yeah. Probably never will be redone. Yeah. You know, there's a little rumblings now, as we all know. But uh, you know, we don't know how that's all going to work out. Uh, so, but yeah, it's just it was an, it's an absolute honor. Uh, I got to be friends with my with my heroes, and and uh, and you know, I can't oh, under I can't overstate it enough how how much of an honor it is to to have been a part of the business that I love to have gotten to know. The guys that I used to look up to and and right. cheer for and do for and and to you know I found a little place in this business and made a little bit little of a living for a little while doing it so right. i'm I'm a lucky man and uh and um yeah uh, just so i'll plug the podcast real quick sit ringside with david penzer on all form uh uh anywhere that you could find the um the uh on your favorite podcast. podcasts are found. Sorry about that. Anywhere podcasts are found. And, um, we drop on Monday mornings and it's sort of the same kind of thing as what you do. And I, I listen to you and, and you do a great job as well. And I, I'm honored that you would have me on. We're going to have to get you on the uh, center ringside here one of these days and you yeah. can tell your story. Yeah, and, uh, I'd love to, love to hear it. And, um, yeah, my thing is like, you know, my back in the day, as you know, Sean, um, you know, there was no internet, there was no, uh, internet, there was no, you know, XM no radio. So, embassy, yeah, embassy, so,
0: yeah.
1: So, so when we drove from one town to another, uh, you know, we told stories, you know, and I got to hear some of the greatest wrestlers of all time tell me stories. Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, when I have a guest on, I, I like to, to, to hear their, their story about how they got involved and and their passion and, and, and stuff like that, but then tell some stories, just like try to put try to put the fans in the car, in that car that, you know, I got to, to be in because, you know, that I got to do that and that was an honor. And so we try to, it's mostly it's kind of what we're doing here today. And uh, like I said, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, I used to, uh, I, 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 I shouldn't say this is kind of embarrassing, but I used to pretend that I was the host of the event center. <laughs> Wow, when I was younger, you know, I would I would make up a card in my mind and I would read I would do the event center. Uh, And uh, so maybe that's how I got a little bit of practice. But um, so it's an honor speaking to you. And, um, uh, you know, glad that you found life after wrestling uh, because because the business could suck you in there. But uh, it's a wonderful thing. And I'm just so happy to have been a part of it.
0: Yeah, you, you mentioned real estate boy, you probably look at that to business and go, This is nothing compared to what uh, I used to do. So your persistence I'm sure pays off there. But we've also run into each actually, other. Yeah, go ahead. Actually, Sean, I gotta tell you, as crazy as the wrestling business was, the real estate business is sometimes times worse. <laughs> yeah, I know my I've got a brother who's in real estate. Yeah, it's not easy, that's for sure. But we've run it's into times we, Yeah, we've run into each other uh, at a couple of these uh starcast events that uh, Conrad thompson puts together and also we're watching aew evolve and uh i wanted to get your your thoughts quickly on what you've seen so far if it's uh, impressed you and what you think uh, might be the future ahead for uh this new uh, aew startup
1: well it's caught it's caught fire like nothing else yeah. that i've seen since yeah. wcw i will say that i'm not comparing it to wcw uh you know I, I, as i say they're off to a hell of a start. Excuse yeah. my French. Um, yeah, no, the the pay-per-view that they did, uh, uh, Double or Nothing, was an uh, awesome product. And um, I really, really, really loved the, the the Dustin and Cody match. And the funny thing is, is I had predicted, because normally brother versus brother are like, long-time tag team partner versus long-time tag yeah. team partner, yeah. doesn't really work that well for whatever reason. So I had I was a little bit disappointed that it was going to be those two. Boy, was I, did I have to eat crow the next week on my podcast. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> uh, that that was one of the better matches I've seen yeah. probably in yeah. 15 years, and uh, it left a tear in my eye cool. because, uh, you know, at the end the promo that Cody cut to Dustin, uh, was sort of like my favorite Dusty Rhodes promo from uh, leading up to Clash of the Champions, uh, wanting Dustin to be his partner against Terry Funk and Arn Anderson, and he said, "Oh, I don't, I don't need a contract, I don't need a signature, all I need is a hug and a kiss to seal the deal, baby." Yeah, yeah. And 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 it was sort of the same, so it brought back a lot of memories because I was there live for that, and that's wow. my favorite Dusty promo of all time, and yeah. and so uh, I texted Keith Mitchell, who is the uh, who was the. Uh, um, Uh, executive producer of WCW when I worked there and also TNA and now is of AEW and I texted him and I said, Dusty would be very proud right now because he was very good friends with Dusty. And uh, he said he sure would be, he'd have a big smile on his face and he does wherever he is. So, but yeah, they're, they're, they're on fire. And, um, you know, it's one thing to, to, to do, quality pay-per-views but you know they're going to have to put out one or two hours of of oh, episodic yeah. television and yeah. and that's not easy but they got a hell of a head start son so uh you know they they got the the people behind them they got the 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 finances behind them they got ironically TNT (laughs) that's another thing I texted Keith Mitchell and I said, I said, who'd ever thought what a, what a, what a uh, square of the circle. So to speak of, you know, you're, you know, coming back to and being executive producer for a television show on TNT. Uh, you know, so, um, strange, it's, it's, uh, you know, strange business. And, you know, in this business, they say they can never say never. These guys have a good thing going. They got good, strong backing. They got a great production team behind them. And, um, and they got people's attention. So you can't ask for anything more. Now they just have to go out and execute it and keep people interested. And if they can do that, it's going to be an interesting little
0: ride. Yeah, and you mentioned Dusty, and I'm sure, as you said, he's proud of his son. And, uh, I mean, I am impressed with Cody and and the Young Bucks. And uh, the thing is, though, can they keep this going? You know, the one one thing that's awesome about it is the fact that it's just this group of, professionals who are in control of their own destinies and and you you were in the green room with those with those people and it was just a really awesome feeling because they're having fun and i just hope it doesn't become corporate and and it doesn't these and egos don't get involved and because it can be really uh really awesome and i just hope they keep it going right right now it's just uh it's just great it's great to be a part of it and see it all happen
1: well, I think everybody that, that that's not in uh, Connecticut uh, probably is rooting for them uh, to succeed because it's better. I mean, it's better for the guy, for the boys, it's better for the fans. Competition is better. You know, it'll be better for WWE at the everybody, end because uh, right, right. they'll have to get you know find a way to get more creative and 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 find a way to to to. to you know, do what they did when WCW sort of took a a right turn onto their path and they totally recreated themselves. And and it'd be interesting to see if they have to recreate themselves again, how they do it and uh, if they could do it twice. But, um, it, it'll be it's it, it'll be fun and i you know i i i think you know heck w you you know more than i do wwe is a international global machine yeah, yeah. so uh you know i don't think they're going anywhere but yeah. uh you know it's, it's, they got they they you know they got a little pressure on them uh from the, like you said a bunch of guys that uh are having a blast paving their own way getting to do it their style yeah you know the way that they want to do
0: it yeah, that's great all right folks it's Uh, Sitting Ringside with David Penzer. Check out the podcast. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Sure, they
1: can follow me at Twitter, at David Penzer. I like to interact, uh, uh, just talk wrestling, and don't get involved in all the controversial stuff, politics and all that. I leave that for the pundits and uh, just talk wrestling on Twitter. So if you haven't, uh, uh, if you haven't signed up, join me and, uh, and let's have some fun. And Sean, thank you again for having me on. We're going to get you on for sure. And um, I'm going to look like a copycat now, but I've been, you've been on my shortlist for a while and, um, and we want to let you tell your story and it'd be interesting to hear, hear uh, both of the podcasts when we finally can get you on for sure.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Dave.